From the Capital City, I'm Kevin Allen. Capital City Fire and Rescue responded to a fire Saturday evening on Pedersen Street. Chief Travis Mead was in command. At about, uh, it was almost 5.30 p.m., toned out to a, to a house fire, residential structure fire on uh, Pedersen. We responded there, and on arrival, we, we found encountered a uh, home three-story residential home that had fire on the on what we call the Charlie Delta corner. The fire had already vented out one of the uh, exterior windows and was making its way up the side of the home. We had four, two fire engines and multiple ambulances and multiple volunteer staff responding to this location. It's a, the way that the road is set up. There's It's a long dirt road that has a hydrant across engineers cut off and there's another hydrant uh, down the road a ways and so access getting all that apparatus and a water supply in there was a little bit challenging we had to definitely coordinate on how we did that and uh, to be able to leave access for apparatus to get in the fire was clear after about seven hours of firefighting chief mead said the cause is still under investigation it's still under investigation uh, the fire marshal was on scene while we were fighting fire. He was doing his best to start his investigation while we still had um, active, you know, operations going on. And um, so he was on scene, even though we cleared and the operation was over, he was still on scene investigating it until the wee hours of the morning. CCFR Fire Chief Travis Mead. Last week on Thanksgiving evening, 34-year-old Anthony Michael Migliaccio was arrested for murder in the first degree. At about 5.30 in the afternoon on Thursday, Migliaccio was contacted by Juno Police in the 2000 block of Lemon Creek Road. An arrest warrant was issued for him for murder in the first degree. He was arrested without further incident and taken to the Lemon Creek Correctional Center where he was held on $500,000 bail. The arrest of Migliaccio follows the two-month-long investigation of the September 21st murder of the 55-year-old Faith Marie Rogers on the Brotherhood Bridge Trail. Helping Hands Food Bank at 6590 Glacier Highway closed its doors for good on Friday. Director of Helping Hands, Karen Fort Wrangler, spoke to the decision on shutting down. Resources that we need, we were unable to get to continue to remain open. And those would be lack of financial help and uh, volunteers. And said it wasn't a specially challenging choice to make. It's still under investigation. Uh, The fire marshal was on scene while we were fighting fire. He was doing his best to start his investigation while we still had... uh, active you know operations going on and um so he was on scene even though we cleared and the operation was over he was still on scene investigating it until the wee hours of the morning the alaska state senate will have a coalition of democrats and republicans serving as a majority caucus next january officials announced friday that the coalition will include nine democrats leaving three members of the 20-member chamber in the minority. Gary Stevens, a Republican from Kodiak, will serve as Senate president. We'll be meeting regularly. Um, We're working well together, and uh, we'll continue that. And we'll begin to uh, meet and negotiate uh, not only with the House leadership when they organize, but also with the governor's office. Several agreements we've made, uh, like past bipartisan organizations, Uh, We'll be working uh, in the middle 
uh, not far left or far right issues. We simply can't uh, deal with those uh, with the makeup that we have. We have 11 members. Nothing will happen without 11 members of this caucus agreeing that something would go to the floor. And that means that even if all the D's got together, they couldn't reach 11. Even if all the R's got together, they couldn't reach 11. So we really have to work together to get anything done. We've also all agreed to uh, vote for the budget, uh, which we will all have worked on extensively. Uh, we'll be dealing with that in caucus a lot. And then uh, every member will be assigned to um, a finance subcommittee as well. Among other leadership positions will include Bill Wilikowski, an Anchorage Democrat, as Senate Rules Chair, and Kathy Giesel, an Anchorage Republican, who previously served as the body's president and regained her Senate seat in this year's election as majority leader. A biannual study conducted in all 50 states by the Oregon Department of Consumer and Business Services shows a historical reduction in workers' compensation costs in Alaska. The report shows Alaska ranked 21st in cost measured nationwide, a new record for the state. Director of Workers' Compensation and Alaska Department of Labor and Workforce Development Chuck Collins commented on the recent study done. State of Oregon runs a, a report that is used by all states to measure how their costs of workers' compensation compare to each jurisdiction, that be each state in the District of Columbia. And that started in 1986, and they do it every two years. And Alaska has traditionally been the top five. We it was Montana and us, one and two for many reports. And then 2012 made a concerted effort to be more competitive for workers' compensation in the state of Alaska. We're well on our way with that goal. And spoke to the factors that contributed to the reduction. You know, the Alaska Workers' Compensation Board has worked really hard to uh, implement some self-governing with our medical people and workplaces are safer than they used to be. And there's a number of factors, but our biggest win has been medical costs under workers' compensation. We've been able to limit the costs of providing medical for injured workers and at the same time still keep access open statewide. We we lost no providers in the process, so it's still people do get hurt at work, need access to a doctor or hospital or some other medical provider, and that's still available, and yet it costs employers less money than it did 10 years ago, and we're very proud of that. I'm very proud of my board for working diligently to make that happen. Chuck Collins from the Department of Labor. Owner and operator of Juno's Public Market, Peter Metcalf, talked about kicking off the market on Friday. For the 40th year, we're opening the Juno Public Market at Centennial Hall in the Jack. I can sense the excitement. People are gathering to get in. Open from noon to 7 on Friday and 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Saturday and Sunday. This year, we have more new, never presented at Public Market before vendors than ever before. There's like 55 never presented before vendors here and talked about the vendors about 160 there's quite a few vendors are doubling up or tripling up as the case may be but we have every available space in centennial hall and the jack occupied so they're coming from all over including the east coast and midwest and oregon and washington and dellingham i think is our furthest vendor from in alaska Several from the interior, a number of them have come down from Anchorage. 
Meanwhile, business and economic development manager for Clinton and Hyde, Jamie Cowan, talked about the indigenous artist market as at Elizabeth Paradovich Hall over the weekend. This is the first time we've had our indigenous market since 2018. So a lot of the vendors are really happy to be back and you know in action. They've been making tons of product. Hopefully next year is even bigger and better. We'll be here Saturday and Sunday at 12 to 5. And said there were 13 vendors. We have lots of earrings, some with fur, some's metal, some's gem. We have some nice cuspic. We actually have Chloe Cavanaugh, so some shirts going on, some beanies. Um, just a little variety of different indigenous arts around here. We have our Clinkin and Hyda merch, so we have some engraved hydroflask. We have smokehouse catering here, giving us some great lunch items like the Italian beach and French dips, that's right. After the break, we'll tell you about tonight's Juno Assembly meeting. Stay tuned. You're listening to News of the North. The Juno Assembly meets tonight. Topping the agenda for the Committee of the Whole is a discussion around the Native Corporation Gold Belt wanting to help with the installation of the gondola at Eagle Crest. They have offered $10 million towards the project, and a revenue-sharing deal between the city and the corporation will be talked about. Here's Juno Mayor Beth Weldon on Action Line. Our first item is uh, the gondola installation and the draft agreement with Gold Belt Inc. So um, it's a revenue sharing agreement or RSA and uh, Gold Belt will give us $10 million in um, three payments I believe and um, with that we will give them 10% to 25% of our summer operations through a period of several years until they get 20 million and then I believe if the agreement isn't quite done they even get a bonus on top of that. City Tourism Manager Alexandra Pierce will provide a report on tourism in Juneau as it relates to the Visitor Industry Task Force's recommendations. Weldon outlined those recommendations and what they will be talking about later tonight. Mainly just looking at some of our long-term goals, um, uh, five ships a day, um, complete our seawalk, increase scheduling input. That's been a big one that um, we'd like more of a hand in that as a city, dock electrification and develop a strategy um, to meet community and regional goals in regards to congestions. We're always working on that mitigation um, and then uh, proactive industry management. So just a lot of items that we've been working on um, steadily following the visitor industry task force. And that this will also, tourism is another big topic that we decided to go uh, look at at our retreat and um, see if we can give more of a direction and um, on that. But we'll be looking forward to her presentation on that. Juno Mayor Beth Weldon. The number of port calls to Juneau this year during the tour season and how that impacted docks and harbors in Juneau was taken up during Action Line. Harbor Master Matt Creswell compared this year to the last. Uh, quite the jump in port calls. I believe in uh, beginning July 23rd of 2021, we had our first large ship call, and that ran through uh, early October. And I think you might have the numbers in front of you, but I think we had 74 within the whole city last year, something like that. And this year we jumped up to 637 large ship port calls. We went from roughly 110,000 people last year to 1.167 million this year. Um, ships started off a little this year, started off a little light with capacity, but by 
mid and end of season, we were running at nearly a, a normal cruise ship season. So 1.167 this year, and uh, you know, we'll see what next year holds. Creswell talked about their now post-pandemic budget. Because we operate on the fiscal year July through June, and so we had to staff up last year for for a, an abbreviated cruise ship season. But we still had to have the same number of people, and people were always your most uh, expensive asset when you're budgeting. But uh, we, I mean, you needed more people, we right? Needed, because because yeah. of that uh, that new uh, that new vessel or no the passenger checking system. Dual ID verification yeah. requires more people, and. Uh, so we had to staff for that last year, and uh, then this year we quickly started making up for it. Um, it was a little below budget, a little past our budgeted number, but uh, we have no no worries that it's going to be just fine, and we're going to start making that up really quickly. Juno Harbormaster Matt Creswell. Juno Community Foundation Director Amy Skillpred provided an update on their HOPE endowment while a guest on Action Line. Skillbred said that grants cover mental health, suicide prevention, domestic violence, substance misuse, abuse, hospice, homelessness health, and education in Juneau. The Juneau Hope Endowment gives out about a million dollars a year to social service organizations. And the second year, 2016, the second year that grants were given out, um, CBJ social service funds were added in so that we do one grant program for both the Juno Hope Endowment and CBJ social service funds. And this year, it's going to be about $2.2 to $2.3 million that are going to be given out in grants to social service organizations. In April, the foundation had announced that $1.9 million from their Hope Endowment will be going towards supporting nonprofit service providers. It started with a million from the Hope Endowment and then about 800-some thousand from CBJ. And then just this past June, CBJ increased the amount that they'll be giving by about 500,000. And the Hope Endowment has always sort of bumped up every year how much is coming out of that. So it's, um, you know, we now have three-year grant cycles for many of the grants that we give out, especially those that involve hiring personnel um, from for nonprofit organizations, just because it's hard to hire somebody on a one-year grant and not know if they're going to have funding in the following years. The Judo Assembly also moved this year to approve an additional $264,000 in funding for the HOPE Endowment. The Christmas tree over in Douglas was lit Friday night. A member of the Douglas Fourth of July committee, Maggie Swanson, talked about all the committee what all the committee organizes. We're the Douglas Fourth of July committee, and originally we did the Fourth of July and the Third of July. We always had a community picnic along with a few other events that night, and then the Fourth of July festivities. And then we also sponsor the Ghost Walk. In lieu of trick or treating in Douglas, all the kids would come to the Mount Jumbo Gym and go around and do all the carnival activities. And then we do the Christmas tree lighting the Friday after Thanksgiving. Swanson talked about the Christmas tree's history. The Douglas Fourth of July Committee started doing the Christmas tree lighting first part of the 2000s, and we've been doing it ever since. The history behind all of that is that the miners in the Treadwell Mine only had two days off a year, and that was Fourth of July and Christmas. Douglas Fourth of July Committee member Maggie Swanson. Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Allen.